Imagine living over a hundred years and even more. How that can be done is a million dollar question. The Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica is one of those rare spots in the world where locals live longer than in most places. Some say it is the diet. Some say it's the weather. Today in the America's Now podcast, the centenarians of Costa Rica. In 2016, America's Now correspondent Harris Whitbeck went to the Nicoya Peninsula to find out some of the reasons behind longevity. But during the pandemic, Harris went back to find out how centenarians are dealing with COVID and confinement. Harris joins us now. Hi, Harris. Welcome to the America's Now podcast. Hi, Elaine. Thanks for having me. Nice to, nice to be in touch. So, Harris, the secret of a long life in a blue zone. I mean, it really sounds so simple. You're eating healthy food. You have family and friends to socialize with and to take care of you. Keep your brain working, I heard. And obviously, you're in, in a very idyllic place to live. But if it were so simple, why can't it be replicated everywhere? Well, I mean, that's a good question because uh, from all the research indicates that there are only around six zones across the planet that have uh, an abnormally high number of people who live to be more than 100. And they all seem to share these similar traits, the ones you mentioned. Um, and one that that is also important, at least in, in the one in Costa Rica, is um, a certain spiritual life. And I don't mean openly religious, but people who just seem to have some connection with you know, a sense of self or a sense of being or a, or a sense of a, a superior being. Um, that seemed to be one of the traits that was most uh, mentioned, particularly in Costa Rica. It does sound really simple. And I guess modern life makes this more difficult these days. You know? I mean, basically, there's not nearly the amount of stress, it sounds like when you're near a beach, beautiful area, maybe you don't have to worry about all these other material items or things that you find in, in bigger cities. Well, yes, and, and funnily enough, I mean, the people that I met in the two trips I made to the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica are not people who would live what one would consider to be overtly luxurious lives. Um, they live really simply. I mean, they don't have big fancy cars. They don't have three or four televisions in their house. They don't watch Netflix every night. You know, they're not socially, um, you know, connected on social media all the time. So all of the trappings that one would consider to make life easier for some people are absent there. And I think it's particularly, it's that absence of these things that connect people in, in a virtual way that makes their lives more simple. So Harris, you made two trips, one a few years ago, and then um, the most recent during this pandemic. Has the Nokoya Peninsula been affected by any kind of coronavirus outbreak? What was the sense among seniors and the caregivers uh, you spoke to as they watched this pandemic spread across the globe. Were they panicked at all? Well, they weren't panicked, and Nicoya did have several cases, but there was nothing that that made that region stand out from other regions regions in Costa Rica. Yes, there were cases, but there was not an outbreak per se. People were concerned. I mean, Costa Rica is, uh, especially in comparison to the rest of Central America, is a very educated population. People are very in touch with the news, and people also paid close attention to what the authorities tell them to do. So yes, there were measures in place, you know, all the social distancing measures that we've become used to, you know, uh, people standing or, or sitting a meter and a half apart, wearing masks, uh, not spending time in large groups of people. And the caregivers of the elderly that we spoke to were very, very conscious of the fact that they needed to protect them, especially because they are at such high risk. 
And there's a balance because, uh, you know, not only is this an educated population, it's a destination where a lot of people go to visit. And so was there any concern with balancing safety with the tourism industry? Well, that was one of the concerns. I mean, tourism is, if not the first, uh, it's among the top three main sources of, of hard currency in Costa Rica. So yes, there was a lot of concern about safeguarding that industry and safeguarding the jobs and the economic benefits that that entailed and balancing that with the need to keep everybody safe. Uh, having said that, Costa Rica was one of the first countries in Central America to reopen its borders to tourism. And they felt that they could do that precisely because people in the country were so aware of the need to take measures to keep people socially distant. So they did seem to find that proper balance. And it's funny because the Nicoya Peninsula is, um, you know, it's it's one of the areas that receives the most tourists in the country. It's home to some of the most beautiful beaches in Costa Rica. So they depend a lot on tourism there. You traveled all over the place. I mean, you live in the region. Are there any other countries within the Americas that come even close to the longevity that you've seen in Nicoya? And, and how does life expectancy in Latin America vary by country or region? Well, Costa Rica is the country that has the highest uh, life expectancy in Latin America. It's uh, very close to 80, 79.2 years uh, is the median life expectancy there. And the life expectancy throughout Latin America is 75. So there is a lot of longevity in, in the region. You know, I mean, I my grandmother, who was from Guatemala, she lived well into her 90s, and there's a long history of people living quite long lives in, in my own family here in Guatemala, which brings a whole other set of problems because in Costa Rica, for example, where the population is 5 million and the gross domestic product is more or less $12,000 a year, you have a lot of people living long lives who are going to require more services as they grow older. And particularly in Central America, the median age is quite young, you know, late 20s uh, in, in Guatemala, early 30s in Costa Rica. So that obviously it's good that people are living so long, but that brings along a whole host of other problems when there is not a qualified system in place to take care of people as they grow older. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was really struck by, in both your stories, the importance of family and the role they played, um, the care and respect for elders. It's its a core principle, it seems, in the Latin community. It's also very similar uh, to what I've seen in the Asian culture. So how difficult was it for some of these centenarians not to be able to spend as much time as they were able, as they can with their loved ones during the pandemic? Or, or did you see that they had to take special measures so they could remain with their family? Yeah, I think the, the inability to be able to spend time with their families was the main concern that everybody I spoke to had. And I remember visiting one uh, woman in, in Nicoya on this last trip. In their house, they had like a carport, a garage, which they actually turned into a, a visiting area, if you will. And it was long enough so that there could be four or five meters distance between where she was sitting and people would come in and stand on the street you know, and I'd speak to her through basically bars, uh, windowless space with bars where they could at least speak to each other. And the caregiver told me that this lady's, that was the highlight of her day to be able to be in touch with other people. The day that we went to see her, she walked out and she was dressed, you know, to the nines. She looked beautiful. She had had her hair done, her makeup. She was wearing uh, a beautiful party dress. And, uh, and her daughter, who was with her, told us that she had been so excited about being able to receive visitors. And we, of course, were staying three meters 
from her and you know wearing masks and everything and and she kept saying i just want to hug you because i haven't seen people <laughs> let's listen to this woman her name is marta rojas and she is 105 years old arreglo mi cama porque a mí me gusta tener la cama bien arregladita me gusta she says i wake up i make my bed myself and i pick out what i'm going to wear because I don't like anyone making these kinds of decisions for me. I mean, I experienced that here in Guatemala. I mean, taking care of my own mother, who's in her late 80s. She was isolated in her apartment and every, every family member was in their own home. And it was so important to her to at least have some sort of contact with other members of society, with the family. And that's what drove a lot of people to, to desperation during the biggest part of the confinement here in Guatemala. It is so hard because all you want to do is to hug your mom or grandma or, or anyone. Like, I, I think other than the people in your household, no one's touched each other in, in over a year. I haven't seen my own parents in over a year now because of the pandemic. And we're just waiting for everyone to get vaccinated. And, you know, it's just not the same when you're FaceTiming someone that you should be hugging and holding and kissing. So. No, it's, no, it's so hard, it's not, isn't it? Yeah. Especially in these cultures where, you know, as you said earlier, where family ties are so important and where and where social life is so is so important. I, I you know, I travel to the States quite often and I compare my family's life with those of, you know, families in, in, in the United States or other countries in Europe where, you know, the contact between family members is not as important as it is in Latin America. Right. You're always holding each other or just touching or just a simple greeting, you have to make physical contact, right? Yeah. What about comparisons? I know we've talked about social distancing, but have you noticed any other major changes you've noticed from this trip to Nokoya from your previous one? Is there a feeling of more stress in the air at all, or just to be safe, or, or are they just really living each day, you know, staying in the moment of each day? No, I, th I think the elderly people were really just staying in the moment. And I honestly, I think that's one of the secrets to their longevity because they do not stress out in the ways that we stress out. Their concept of time is different from ours because they truly learn to live in the, mo in the moment. I mean, for me, that was a huge life lesson to go there four years ago and then return this time and find that people's attitudes had really not changed. Yes, of course, they were concerned about the pandemic. Everybody was very much aware of what was going on around the globe, but people were just really taking it in stride. And, and I think the biggest concern they all had is because I visited this time around, I visited the Nicoya Peninsula right around the days of the US election. And there was um, one woman I interviewed who was extremely politically aware. And the first thing she asked me when I walked into her house was, who's gonna win tonight? And that was the day before the election <laughs> in the US. So. There's a lot of stress around that, but that's a whole other topic. We can do a whole other podcast about that. <laughs> well, you know, you, you did, were you an outsider coming in? So did you have to go through any special precautions to be able to do this story? Because um, I imagine they don't have a lot of visitors, but here you are coming in from another country to, to interview them. Were they concerned about you at all? Well, we had all tested and I, you know, I reached the point here in Guatemala where I take a PCR test every couple of weeks. And whenever I go to the testing center, you have to write down on the formula that you fill out while you're there. And I always just write down hypochondria because that's really <laughs> how I feel about it at this point. Um, but no, so all of us had taken the PCR test, which is the one that is uh, most readily accepted and, and that is apparently the most accurate. So with that test in hand and obviously keeping the social distance measures, that was enough for everybody to feel safe around us. And for us to be 
to feel confident that we would not bring in be, be the cause of somebody getting sick, which is very important. Of course. Interesting question for you. Did you make any kind of changes to your lifestyle or diet after your first visit, um, you know, based on what you learned about this, you know, living in a blue zone and, and having a longer life? And did you keep any of those changes this time around? <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, when I first met these people and particularly uh, a woman called uh, Panchita, she was well over a hundred when I interviewed her. She was 116, I believe. I need to go back and check, but she was the person to have ever lived the longest in Costa Rica. And when I interviewed her, she was fine. I mean, she had trouble hearing and trouble speaking and she had lost her sight and that which, which must've been incredibly difficult for her, but she was a viable person and her mind was as sharper than mine at the time. So it was very, very inspiring to, to meet them and, and to learn about this um, combination of factors that lead to the, to their longevity. Did I try to apply those when I went back home? Yes and no. I mean, I'm, I'm in my, in my mid fifties, so I need to start, I should have started longer before to start taking better care of myself. And I, I, have made an you know attempt to exercise and to eat in a more healthy manner. Um, I think the approach to having a close knit social circle of friends and family was what struck me the most, which is most important. I, I mean, I really recognize the value in that, and I was also struck by how everybody did have this like connection to something spiritual that I mentioned earlier, which I've tried to apply, particularly the last year of the pandemic, which I spent in total isolation at a a home I have in the, on the in the mountains in Guatemala, which honestly made the whole confinement for me last year was one of the best years of my life. And I know it's it sounds trite to say that when so many people around the world have suffered because of the pandemic. But if you if you just like take into account all these different elements that will make your life better, and you try to apply them as much as you can, your life really can be better. Um, health, you know, health, like going out for daily walks spending time reading, listening to classical music or 20, and, you know, just being exposed to art and the beautiful creative energy that comes from that, it all makes your life better. And if your life is better and you're happier, then you're going to be a healthier person. Yeah. So, yeah, it's easier said than done, but I, I am more conscious of the fact that one can do, take a lot of very simple steps that will increase the quality of your life. Oh, I like that a lot. I mean, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, I'll eat more green food or I'll, I'll drink more water, but I think, you know, what you, you bring up a lot of good points and it's, I think it's important for all of us to think of some of those things, especially as we're all trying to survive and, and get through some stresses that we have of everyday life. You know, you spoke to all of these centenarians and obviously they have lived through a lot. They have witnessed a lot of history over the years. Did they share any wisdom or advice with you just an, an, or an outlook? Well, they had all lived through the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. And um, obviously that one did not have the same effects worldwide as this one has. But they told me those who remembered, you know, said that they had uh, basically taken the same steps that are being taken now. Now, back then, of course, it was easier to maintain social distance because there were less people around and mobility wasn't as, as uh, at hand as it is now. But it was basically the same thing. You know, it's interesting that the, the centenarians in Costa Rica, they're very, their approach to life is really keep it simple. 
get up in the morning, go out and, you know, visit your animals. If you live on a farm, do your chores, do a little bit of physical exercise, spend time with your family, rest, read, meditate, pray, whatever it is. And don't, don't go beyond that. It's not necessary. It's really about keeping it simple. And that, that is timeless. You know, you can keep it simple. You could have kept it simple in 1918, just as well as you could in, you know, in 2020. And you know what? They, they all seemed so happy in your stories. They were just, it was so easy and they were so happy. Oh, they did. And then when Doña Panchita uh, introduced me to her 90 year old son, it was one of the most touching moments I've ever witnessed because he came up to her and, you know, shuffled up to her and said, you know, dear mom and gave her a big hug. And you see like these two <laughs> very old people having just this beautiful relationship, this like mother son relationship that, that, you know, is just a testament to how much was between them. You know, it was very, it was, it was great. It was wonderful. It's a great story to be on. <laughs> well, I enjoyed watching it. Um, uh, I, I, I noticed in your story, it looked like there are some care homes, but do the majority of the seniors live with and centenarians live with their families or is there is it split between care homes and and families no i'd say most of them and right now there are less than 50 centenarians in costa rica um the last number i saw was 44 but that of course could change and the vast majority of them did live with a family member in their home and that i think is a huge factor in the general sense of well-being that contributes to their living so long. Mm -hmm. I know in my own family, when my grandmother was still, my grandmother and my grandfather lived up into their 90s, mid 90s, and at a certain point, they just shuffled from family member to family member. They never stayed anywhere other than just with one of their sons or daughters and their family. So I spent some of my time growing up with both my grandparents living with us. I, I, you know, I just, I feel that that experience is so special. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, my grandmother lived into her early 90s, and she was completely independent. Uh, you know, she'd live in a, in a country house, and she'd go out on long walks every afternoon, and she'd play the piano and tend to her garden, and then and all the grandkids would go see her on weekends. And, you know, she was the most vital woman I've ever been close to. And then my father, he passed, when he passed away at the age of 86, uh, about a year and a half ago, and he he still would go to the office. He was a civil engineer and he still had an office that he would go to every afternoon. And the, the afternoon he died, he'd gone to the office and spent the afternoon signing papers and, you know, wow. just being, feeling useful and feeling uh, recognized as a useful member of society. And I think that you get that more in societies like these in Latin America, where people aren't canceled when they reach a certain age. And I, I think it's key to to everybody's well-being because I certainly had the privilege of learning so much from my grandmother and my father who lived so long and from my mother who's still alive and quite viable um, you know I learn from them every day so from her every day so I think it's the best way to go move forward it's hard of course in industrialized nations where people are so busy and where people live in smaller houses and there are more financial economic obligations it makes it harder but in societies um, that still have a traditional base, I think it's crucial. Mm -hmm. A sense of purpose, making that brain work. My uh, grandmother would always do crossword puzzles and Sudoku <laughs> and do all sorts of things <laughs> to keep her brain uh, working up until the very end. Harrison, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your stories with us and, and your family. It was really nice to hear about it. 
Well, thank you. It was nice to talk to you. And uh, as always, uh, uh, it's a pleasure to, to work with you. Harris Whitbeck, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Lane. Hope to do it again soon. Thanks for joining us on the America's Now podcast. To listen to the first full season of the America's Now podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just search for America's Now, CGTN America. Our executive producer is Jose Velasquez. Our sound editor is Caroline Allnut. And our copy editor is Joe Zarenko. The head of the Features Unit is Umberto Duran. And I am Elaine Reyes in Washington, D.C.